Bet you came here to hear about art Well, sorry, my friend, that's not what we're about So sit back, grab a drink, and hear us talk And let's hope that by the end we'll all be drunk How's it going? Oh, it goes. It, uh... Does it? Does it go? It's going. It won't stop. I've asked it to. It keeps going. Hmm. That's problematic of it, indeed. Truly, truly. How is it October? What? Yeah. What? Yeah. It's still March to me, but according to this calendar, it is October 1st as of the release of this episode. That's unrealistic. Honestly. We should block the calendar. I've already blocked it. Delete it. I don't like being lied to like this. Right? Ten months into 2020? No, thank you. Damn, son. That is indeed (laughs) wild. So the least. I hate it, but it's fine. I guess. Maybe? I don't know. Maybe. Um. (laughs) Well, I guess we have to deal with it. We're going to deal with it the best way that we know how, which is yelling about art. Oh, Oh, that too. That too. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of of tears. A lot of tears. Hopefully ones of vindictive rage. Yeah. (laughs) And sorrow. <laughs> and joy. And joy. Because art. And art. <laughs> Imagine. Imagine. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Elena. This is Bet You Wish This Was an Art Podcast. Welcome. Hello. Hello. Joyful introductions aside, I am really excited for this week's topic. Yes. What is how I've been saying it for months. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's one that is indeed just so fascinating to me, and I've learned a lot from the research that we did for this episode, and it was so mm-hmm. much fun. And now we're gonna just share that knowledge with you guys because we love you and want you to share our passion. <laughs> <laughs> we're just gonna unlock it from our brains and shove it into your brains, and we will all walk away with knowledge. Yes, that we will forget in four to five days. That's all right. That's why we have this in the audio recorded medium yep, true. of a podcast. Thus forth, we can share and Indeed. re-listen. We can't because we can't listen to our own voices, no, but gross. they can. <laughs> yes, they can. They can. And they will, probably. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. Otherwise, we're still yelling into the void. And I guess that's fine. That's fine. We're going to make merch for the void one day. One day. You know, we've almost been at this for almost a year, and we still can't segue properly into episodes. Nope. (laughs) 
Will we ever be able to do that? Probably we'll, not. We'll wake up on the fifth year and we'll be like, oh, this is how we do it. This is how you segue. We solved it. <laughs> <laughs> but not today. Uh, but today's episode <laughs> is about the Japanese wood carving technique, yukioi. Yes. <laughs> Yukioe is much more than just wood carving because there were like paintings as well and <laughs> stuff like that. But uh-huh. yeah, it's a very long process of creation that goes into it. Let's start. What is Yukioe? <laughs> what is Yukioe indeed? Wow. <laughs> I, I kind of wanted to start with the history period because the history is so very long, though. It is, but it's fun. Maybe just for me, but it's still fun. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, Yukioe is a genre of Japanese art that was dominant from the 17th century to the 19th century. And it was basically ma- like mass produced woodblock prints and paintings and the term itself actually translates to pictures of the floating world there's a like like i said there's a lot of stuff that goes into making a ukiyo-e uh, wood print and distributing the art to the people which that was kind of what was going on back then. Mm-hmm. Like I said, Yukioe was mass produced. And to do that, there were different people involved in the process of making it. So there was the publisher, uh, Hanmoto. There was the, uh, the, the publisher was basically who chose the subject of the print. And then they would pass this idea to the artist, the Eshi. And they would make the entire art and design it and eventually move it on to the carver, Horishi. And the carver (laughs) would plaster this design to a woodblock and then carve it slowly so that it resembled exactly the painting. And then pass it on to the printer, the Surishi, who then put like... There are really nice videos of this technique on YouTube that you guys can check out of how the last stage was done. Basically, the printer uh, used used various types of paint to transfer this carved image that was in the woodblock onto a piece of paper. And then that piece of paper, since it was already like basically a copy of the woodblock and the woodblock is there for you to use over and over and over again. It was mm-hmm. very easy to mass produce it. However, woodblocking technique is, does not come from, from Japan. It's Chinese and it was adopted by the Japanese in like the eighth century. Mm-hmm. And it really started to uh, pick up later on in like the, about this era a bit earlier as well and this way mass producing all of these ukiyo-e prints people had access to loads of art and it was sold at like regular booths like in, in markets like now we would buy a souvenir or something it was like kind of like that but everywhere on the market and it was very sought after in the beginning, they would make like black and white prints because they they didn't hadn't tried to do it with a color yet. And then when they did, 
when it started becoming more in demand. They switched mm-hmm. to colors, but they still used like one or two in the beginning and only in like later times and like I think in more 18th century ish. They started to use more and more colors and in the end they would just like use up to 20 colors in one print. And to, and to use the colors, you have to do the prints, like do it separately, each color separately. So you do one color first on the paper. And then you put the other paint on the wood and then you would put the same paper on and like make the color transfer. It's very long process, but it's still easy to mass produce compared to like actually painting everything. (laughs) Well, let's get into it. So Yukioi as a genre of art kind of encapsulates a two century period between the 17th century and the 19th century moving well into I mean even beyond some 20th century but in a different we'll get to it 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 arises from this period of Japanese history that I think has been largely coined as the Edo period of Japan, um, which was a time of relative peace uh, administrated by a conservative military government. So in order to encourage stability and revive interest in Confucian morals, the Tokugawa regime, which was the military government at the time, segregated society into four classes. There was warriors, farmers, artisans, and at the bottom, merchants. Seeking this control, seeking this like observance and vigilance of public behavior, the Tokugawa shogunate set aside walled areas in major cities so that you could have establishments like theaters and tea houses and brothels. And these districts are where all classes commingled. And a new style of money and class and culture and style developed, grew, and dominated. Edo is what they called Japan or Tokyo at the time. Yes. But it also encapsulates what this Edo period city was like. You have the newly rich who were merchants and artisans who gained economic strength and fame even by taking advantage of this dramatic expansion in cities and commerce and this position of being the bottom of the rung, socially speaking, yeah. but at the top, economically speaking, then created this economic social paradox where they had to, to express themselves, but in ways that were socially acceptable. That's also where the military class plays an important role and this emphasis on luxuries and pleasures and philosophy and nature and every aspect of human life, both physical and spiritual and emotional and carnal, in to put it in a manner, mm-hmm. uh, then dominated the culture. And you have everything at this period of time. This was a very important period of Japanese history. We won't get into it too, too much, but the beginning of the Edo period is also a period of Japanese isolationism from the yeah. world. Yeah. They closed their borders to very few countries at this time. Oh, to all countries. To all except like three or four 
major trading partners. But well, outside of that, just the Dutch and some South Asian countries, yeah, yeah. No. But it's yeah, it was kind of like. Um, have you seen the video history of Japan? <laughs> <laughs> that will tell it better than we ever can. Yeah, but and that's... that video literally influenced all of my vocabulary today. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it basically explains very well what happened and what uh, the Takugawa, sorry, Tok- Tokugawa, he basically shut down the entire country mm-hmm. for it to start to prosper inside of itself instead of like rely on other uh, countries for everything or yeah basically he wanted to make the country stronger and uh putting the military in charge smiley face it sounds uh, super foreign i would never who would ever what? imagine no. but <laughs> yukioe this this floating you know this this floating world art Yes. Really is a long is a final phase in this long evolution of the Japanese genre, both in painting and in culture and in style, because by focusing on themselves, by by closing in on itself, it then got to create its own mythos. And you see that in these prints. Um especially the earlier ones. So everything from the 17th century, 18th century, anything from 1660 to 1760, that first half of the, that first century is really them exploring, is challenging the notion of what it is to do wood print and wood block and, and transforming what you're representing. It's been described as an art that's nostalgic, for a time that's never existed, which is fascinating. When you think about just like how popular the style was, you have a whole country, you have a whole society, you have a whole culture based around like, we want more, we want pleasure, we want excitement, we want to see boats, and we want to see geisha, and we want to see bathhouses and we want to see you know all this it's so fascinating yeah uh, the the whole fame of it kind yeah. of comes from the fact that yukioe is the type of art that is made for the people yes because previously a lot of the japanese paintings used to be based on religion it was very uh conservative and very not what you see every day basically uh, it's more to do with one specific topic than like what i'm doing right now mm-hmm. currently as a japanese person in the 16th or 17th century um so what the yukioi did is they basically took scenes from everyday life something you will see on the street as you walk down or something that you do like you petting your cat or and sitting mm-hmm. in on your bed or uh just like engaging with your partner and a lot of themes that you see every single day and you experience every <laughs> single day they're engaging they're with, with your partner yeah i don't know how to say it pg-13 <laughs> <laughs> sexy times basically sexy times <laughs> 
So yeah, UQA basically depicted all of that so everyday people could relate to it. And that's why it mm-hmm. was so popular. It was accessible to everyone. It was very cheap to buy these prints and available everywhere. So it makes sense that people wanted to see either famous uh, kabuki actors, actors. Yeah, yeah, or like courtesans and erotic scenes well this art was sexy at the end of the day it was it was um yeah you have a great quote here where it's 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 fashion it's commercial it's pinup it's it's easily digestible by its audience you don't really have to know a whole lot or like experience a whole lot in order to understand it yeah it's nice to look at and doubly so it is cheap to collect because of the fact that you could print it and mass produce it depending on like the style or the publishing house and the sophistication of the piece it wouldn't be too expensive to collect to have your own yukioi collection and that's kind of what brings about this intense popularity and for so long because it it is so accessible and allows for an exchange of ideas and i mean oh there's another word for it and i'm blanking on it fun fun i guess i don't know where any of that was going but it, it, there's a reason why it was popular. Yeah. And a lot of this, a lot of these styles, a lot of these themes, they're relatable, as you were saying. They're, they're highly relatable. It doesn't matter how rich you are or how poor you are. You're still going to want to have a drink with your friends. You're still going to want to visit the most beautiful women in town. You're still going to want to have long walks in beautiful Japanese gardens that's something that like will always speak to you regardless of your quote unquote station in life. Yeah. But as much as we want this kind of art to exist and be and everyone will be happy, of course the government had something to say about it. <laughs> it was just too sexy. It was too sexy indeed. <laughs> um, they basically... Uh, yeah, banned painting certain themes, especially uh, themes to do with like erotic scenes, to the point where it led up to like a general like censorship of of ukiyo-e wood wood carvings or wood prints. They opposed to a lot of the things that people were doing. So a lot of the artists at the time, while some challenged it, they didn't succeed very long. <laughs> no, and a lot of that apparently is attributed to publishing more than artists yeah. because publishers who were not only the the major commissioner for so many of these pieces but also the ones who would run the studios and the ones who would distribute the pieces they they largely determined whether or not you'd be successful especially in your beginning and middle career of being an artist. So after a certain point, there's only so much you can fight against it before it's just not economically viable, which is interesting, realistically. Yeah. Because this is also considered the the golden age of yukioi. Well, you know? Yeah. This whole indeed. period of, of trying to censor things, but by censoring, you then also put new emphasis on the the excited, the uh, the romantic, the... 
the exaggerated, the the kabuki, the, the all of that kind of like comes to the forefront, leaving the more salacious, erotic, sexy. Basically, Ukiyo-e was kind of like playboy of the time. <laughs> A little bit. A little bit. A little bit. Like some of the more, if you're, if you look up, say if you look up Japanese erotic art, uh, um, if you look up Yukioe, it's very common for the, the more erotic pieces, the bathhouse scenes, the, the courtesan houses, all of that to be in your initial Google search. So be careful. Yeah. <laughs> Some of it is very explicit, which is, again, interesting because it shows what the, what the common, like where there was money, why, what, how sex sells, essentially, literally. Yeah, <laughs> literally, indeed. And it was, I mean, celebrated for the largest part. Yeah. And as Yukio develops that that desire for the personal, that desire for like the recognizable, to be able to see your favorite kabuki artist or to be able to see your favorite courtesan in art, which I'll remind the people is a lot of what Western artists were already doing at the same time. That desire to be able to see yourself, quote unquote, in the piece That's also happening in the West as much as it's happening in the East. And Japan has closed itself off to the rest of the world. So they are having the same exciting concepts and ideas as their Western companions, which I don't think a lot of people talk about. Indeed. It's very interesting to look at Yukioe in a sense that it's very open (laughs) and certain, certain aspects that are strange that people were very open about these aspects back then and like especially in such a conservative country and i guess this these are also elements of what led up to the banning of the erotic scenes and everything but they did a lot of pieces like a lot of ukiyo-e prints that were that didn't only feature like women woman and man cahooting right doing stuff but it was also like men man and man and also rarely but still woman and woman as well mm-hmm. so it was very mm-hmm. liberal and also like side tangents give <laughs> uh, it to me <laughs> kabuki theater it started with women doing it i love kabuki so much one of these days i think we're gonna have to break from our traditional concept and just talk about kabuki because I love it. I would love to talk about Kabuki. Um, we'll talk about the theater. We'll talk about the art. We'll talk about everything. But yeah. but put that on your radars, kids, because I love... Kabuki is a traditional Japanese-style theater. Present day, I think it is men only. It is men only. An exclusively male-dominated field. But um, yeah, originally it was women. A. Originally, <laughs> yeah. And then they switched it to... And like banned women from doing it entirely. Yeah. Jerks. <laughs> but it is so much fun. It's it's the real over the top yelling theater, the one with the really cool face mask, if you yeah. uh or the face paint. If you if you look up modern Yuki uh Kabuki art uh 
theater or look up old yukioe kabuki actors it's funny it's exciting it's it's dynamic it's so cool did you know that um once they basically banned women from doing it they cast men who were quote unquote like feminine Uh and that then they banned that as well because (laughs) apparently it attracted too many homosexuals (laughs) oh no (laughs) we made it gay and we didn't want that (laughs) and they changed the actors to like grown men uh and like even roles of women are performed by grown-ass men yep. who are most likely cis so that's also something that's also that's just something i wanted to say because i damned it um but otherwise uh yukioe yep. basically was this big phenomenon during that time and eventually led to their golden age basically yeah. which was the late 18th century and during this time you see like probably the most famous uh, artists of Japan of that time, mm-hmm. uh, because you see uh, Hokusai at that time. Who, if the name doesn't sound familiar, you have definitely seen the wave. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Which is funny because that's late stage Yukioe. So is. even that is like bizarre to me because uh, you'll you'll be taught it like it's it's a part of this golden era and in reality it's this like revival of yukioe which Basically. is fascinating because this is our, uh hokusai and another contemporary of his hiroshike are both inspired by western art as much as they are their own traditional route this is not necessarily the time that japan's opening up but this is when the dutch were a lot more active in the south yeah so it's it's just fascinating yeah because uh slowly like these like outside western influences started to come in and that's where hokusai picked up a lot of his realism from and a lot of this his details and his work of course mostly he was inspired by other japanese ukiyo-e artists of course of course um, but there was that slight influence as well and that uh the combination was what led him to create all of these amazing pieces like this uh, the 36 views of mount fuji um, amazing all of them are just incredible his work is so cool. This whole period is so cool. It is. That 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 nature superior to man thing is yeah. just so awesome. <laughs> I love Hokusai. Yeah. And this is this is the time basically when like the censoring was very dominant. Mm-hmm. So they basically switched to a lot of landscapes, uh, while still depicting people as well, but they still focused on like everyday themes, and you can see that in in both Hokusai's and Hiroshige's works. But they also focused on like tales uh, and like very common, well known um, stories, as well as like the Kuniyoshi was also another another big name. I love name. Kuniyoshi. Yeah, I love Kuniyoshi so much. Yeah, he's really great. He created a lot of prince of famous samurai soldiers and that was also very like very sensationalized because well samurai are the japanese heroes and like especially at the time i mean come on uh samurai was the government basically yeah 
along with all of these scenes, they also kind of painted very, how do I say? Playful. Playful, yeah. Fun. Satirical. Yeah. Uh, They had so much fun with these pieces. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, indeed. There's a very fun article. We're going to put it in the public links on our website episode description Mm -hmm. of, of this episode. It's entirely about cats in yukioi yep yep Yep. (laughs) and it's just so cute the best literally the best part of yukioi is the amount of cat depiction from from cats as yokai from cats as just like street rats and just hanging out and and getting into trouble and mischief and the personification of cats i fucking i i I love it it is indeed just it's so good yeah (laughs) I love it. <laughs> but that's another thing is that so many of these artists, um, depending on the period, are working together. It's tough for us to think about it in a modern context of the studio artist working in tandem with a whole bunch of other people, both to create art and to produce art and to in the same way that you would see it. I mean, in in Renaissance art studios in Europe. But these artists were worked tremendously to come out with content and to produce prints and to continuously develop and uh, refine their style. This was back-breaking labor to create these pieces because of the fact that it was such a, an easily consumable medium. The printmaking process, while easy to distribute, is also painstaking and laborious on the path of the artist so it's amazing it's amazing that they were able to come out with all of this as quickly as they did as intricately as they did we'll we'll probably do a quick episode one of these days on like the different types of wood block printing because it requires a whole mess of names and styles and abilities but in wood block prints Once you finish carving it, and once you have the finished print, you can use that over and over and over again, or at least until the, the, what's it called, the key block is uh, damaged or damaged in some way. Yeah. But traditionally speaking, the publisher owned the wood block and did not have to pay the wood carver or the artist to reuse the print because they owned it. That's rude. It's rude. <laughs> but that's how, that's why these artists had to come out with so much content so quickly all the time because they just, they didn't own their work anymore. Their names were on it and that brought them a lot of social cred and that brought them a lot of fame and in the most part success. But like, you had to hustle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it had to follow the law. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. If you want to go somewhere. You could be arrested for you could be arrested for parody art. And some were. A lot were. <laughs> you either died hungry or you were thrown in jail. Basically. Essentially. Basically. Yeah. Um, I want to mention some of the very exceptional UKOA artists of the time. Yes. So one one of them was Moronobu, which yes. was basically one of the earliest masters-ish. 
and he still used he still signed his artworks with uh, Yamato A, which is like the predecessor of Yukioe, like style that was before. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like to say that he still like considers himself to be coming from there, but it, it is of course already a different style entirely. But yeah, he focused a lot on uh, depicting images of women, mm-hmm. which have a specific name. What was the name of it? Was it Bajinga? Yeah, Bajinga. A bit Bajinga. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, it's a, uh, portraits of famous beauties, <laughs> uh, which were <laughs> often just like high status sex workers and like people that you uh, or their attendants who yeah. worked in the pleasure districts. And he depicted those quite often, like where it was like kind of his style at the time. Um, (laughs) another, uh, very famous or very exceptional, uh, painter at that that time. And also kind of like similar to Moronobu was, uh, Isawa Matabe, who was, um, basically also like a hair of the Yamato, a style. There, there are so many schools, kind of like in the Western world, there are like apprenticeships and like school of Caravaggio or something, uh, Caravaggistas, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, th- there, it was kind of the same system there, but there were like schools and each school had its different, different distinct style or focus. Uh, Matabe was also in one of these schools, so probably all of them were in one one way or another connected to these schools. Yeah, I mean, and there were as many schools as there were publishing houses, and there are names for all of them. And you can yeah. tell who trained under what, much like the Caravaggistas in Italy and Northern Europe. Yeah. Um, you could tell whom they trained under or who they most closely associated with because all of their art looked similar to that style. That yeah. is how they were trained to do art. Basically. Intense. Intense. <laughs> <laughs> really intense. Yeah. And Matabe, he, he was kind of influenced by Japanese literature. A lot of mm-hmm. his scenes, A lot of poets. Yeah. A lot of the, the these artists were also uh, influenced by Japanese literature. Um, and a lot of these scenes that he depicted came from Tale of Genji, but they were also like very, like very everyday type of scenes still. So mm-hmm. it was like to make it very relatable and personal. We already mentioned Tokusai and, uh, yeah, but he's fantastic. Yeah, so we can always mention amazing. him again. Yeah. <laughs> there are so many amazing artists of that time that just if we just sat here i could just list them all and <laughs> we'll be here for 500 years um, you could just sit here and and cry and and celebrate and and <laughs> joy yeah uh it's it's just it really emphasized the beauty of everyday life yeah it was popular it was vapid it was ephemeral it was sexy it was <laughs> easy to digest and it just it made you feel good <laughs> indeed it made you feel part of the pro or like part of it like it yeah. made you feel like you were being depicted or someone you know was being depicted making you 
a lot more closer to the art than, for example, how it was in like 17th, 18th century Western world where art was for the elites and like the collectors instead of the people. Um, yeah. And you saw actually it's it's funny to me because you see a very similar trend in the Dutch golden age. Um, and I think a lot of that are how the Dutch were able to to also succeed with their Baroque era. I think a lot has to do with the fact that they had trading with the Japanese during this time. Yeah. Because that that use of printing to create cheap, easily produced replicas of artworks then is what propelled the art market in yeah, in Holland. Yeah, yeah. I mean, technically they were the only ones who had access to these paintings at the time. Yeah, um, yeah. It made for a style development that was different or like inspired by this art that no one else had access to. I just think that the use of printing really like that parallel is really exciting because of the fact that um you could see two different very different art styles and techniques but being produced in a very similar way and then having the same effect where more people more classes could engage with art and an artist could cut their teeth on a completely different medium like cutting wood and wood blocks and and printmaking yeah. um, to cheaply and successfully come out with a whole slew of paintings for people. Yeah. And then you could actually afford to collect them and then you could use that for your studies, um, which is actually, if we're going to continue on the concept of Western, mm -hmm. uh, is what made the following century, I suppose, of this time period from the 18th to 19th, almost into the 20th century. So scary slash exciting slash frustrating <laughs> slash gross. <laughs> A lot of things. A lot of things. Yeah. Plus exciting, but still gross. Yeah. Like the 1850s. Again, watch the history of Japan. Yes. Because this part's the funniest. <laughs> <laughs> open the country stop having it be closed <laughs> god i love it so much <laughs> prior to the mid 19th century uh westerners like par like anywhere in most of western europe in even the united states at this point um had little interest in japanese art and in fact, most of the times they could rarely distinguish it from uh, Chinese art if they were ever exposed to it. Or, I mean, Eastern art in quote unquote, quote unquote, Eastern art in general. Mm -hmm. um, and this was largely due to ignorance and the two centuries of Japanese seclusion. Yep. But in 1853... American black ships commanded by Matthew Perry forced the opening of Japan to American trade and, by extension, Western trade through a series of treaties. When Perry returned back to the States, Yukioe prints were amongst the items he brought back. And it was well-received, kind of. It was. In, in, like, in a really obnoxious, superficial sort of way. 
Uh, yeah. What do you expect? <laughs> when when they were first introduced to uh, art connoisseurs in Europe, it was met with a an excitement for the quote unquote exotic. Yeah. But even when being praised, the Ukiyo-e prints were generally thought inferior to Western work because Western work puts more emphasis on naturalistic perspectives and anatomy. But after the 1867 International Exhibition in Paris, these, this Japanese art immediately became fashionable in France and England during the 1870s and 1880s. Of course it did. Of course it did. And, and I mean, it's in 1872 where the French art critic and collector Philippe Bertie, 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 uh, coined the the famous art historical term Japanese-me yeah. uh, to refer to this Japanese art and design popularity and influence in Western Europe during the 19th century. And they were influential. Uh, and to say they weren't is... Bullish. Incorrect. <laughs> Ignorant and incorrect. Because um, Yukioe prints had a major inspiration to the artists of uh, the 19th century because you had a different use of compositional space and flat planes and abstract approaches to color. And you had this new emphasis on diagonal lines and uh, asymmetry and negative space that Western artists hadn't considered or or attempted yet and the moment that you could easily affordably and quite uh skillfully skillfully come out with these pieces then european artists and some american artists took off with it took off running and <sighs> i mean in a very similar appropriative style where this comes under the european concept of primitivism quote-unquote primitivism where european artists were finding inspiration with the quote-unquote other art that had nothing to do with how a european audience would identify with it and because this is around the same time as the avant-garde and the rejection of european standards in art you have a lot of art fanboys who are massively appropriating these pieces to further their own artistic style and development. And on the one hand, it is a celebration of the style, but then on the other hand, it is just a, a cheap wash of the same concept, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, uh, all things considered, because Yukioe was already supposed to be about light, sexy, fun, flirty, playful spirits. So it wasn't meant to be very deep to begin with. So to then have Western artists using similar concepts in their art, I think is more of an homage more so than malicious, but it, it still falls under a very problematic uh, relationship. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say it's malicious per se, but it is problematic. I don't think yeah. they used it in, in a way to like take away anything from from Japanese may or or from Yukioi or from 
that art mm-hmm. that they had access to now. I just think that now, if we look at it, you can see like the cultural appropriation and them yeah. trying to pass it off as something of their own, which is you can always take inspiration from something and you can always be inspired by other people's work or something. But some of the methods that they used and some of the ways that they incorporated it in, in their art. Some was, of the ways they talked about it. Yeah, <laughs> mostly also how they talked about it. I don't know, because some artists, when they they try to do it, it bothers me. But then other artists, I'm like, that's okay. And I don't know how, why my brain <laughs> thinks that way. And I cannot explain it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess it's the way they they talked about it and the way they pre- like they presented themselves with it so yeah. like people like whistler and a bit mané as well i would say they were a bit uh a bit too pretentious about it i do not like their approach to it whistler whistler has a very unfortunate approach to yukioe in which it's the same <clears throat> concept of like the the courtesan the the sex worker the 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 woman of the night perspective but then adding a a heavy hand of japanese themes to the pieces mm. so it's this weird juxtapositioning between like the submissive obedient foreigner who will pleasure the the viewer in more ways than one it's a uh, frustrating we we've talked about whistler before and how and why we don't like him. we don't trust him <laughs> we do not remember trust him. guys we don't trust whistler um but but the impressionists were largely inspired by yukioe yeah um, van gogh himself had a massive pr- japanese print collection many of which were uh yukioe prints yeah and, and for some reason that does not bother me <laughs> Uh, well, <laughs> Vincent doesn't bother you. That's true, but also, like, <laughs> I think because his approach was very technical and very, like, curious in learning it and, like, mm-hmm. not depicting it as something that it wasn't, a lot of his works that are from this time that he was exploring the ukiyo-e were obsessed are obsessed they, yeah they're very experimental and like trying to he's trying to while not take away anything from it but also add something to his work so i yeah i, I don't look at his a perspective as uh something to be too frowned upon Kind of. <laughs> sure. Well, but then you have like artists like Klimt and Matisse and a little bit Picasso at this time who were also using Yukioe to develop their work. Um, there are some really cool pieces that you can see next to each other of Yukioe prints and Western paintings. And the the comparison, the the inspiration, if not the outright copying of, <laughs> is <sighs> is apparent in so many of these pieces. Um, it it's it had a major impact on how illustrative properties 
could be expressed in a painted medium. It wasn't just for pen and ink. It was now as a high art form that you could express yourself differently, that you could use black, thick uh, lines to outline your subject matter. You could use dynamic color. You could use odd perspectives in these floating spaces. Yeah. And you can away rocks. It's it a great does. style. It does. Um, and it's actually funny to me as a as a dabbler in the arts, mm-hmm. as a as a as an interested party of of art. As an artist. <laughs> never. Because when I first started learning how to draw, or I guess not when I first but when I first really started getting into art, I was also largely inspired by the content that I was consuming at the time, which was manga. Yeah. Japanese comics. And I'm not, I mean, obviously being exposed to Japanese comics at a young age also then influenced my art. And you see that really aggressively because it's it's a style that's different than from what you're used to with a approach that's radically different. And it allows you to express yourself in different ways. And so the fact that Hokusai's manga collections, his sketches, his comics, his drafts could still profoundly impact modern art. Miyazaki talks so much about how Yukioe inspires his work. Yeah, exactly. And Miyazaki inspired me a whole lot. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He inspired all of us. And you can't say that he didn't because then you'd be lying. You'd be lying. And rewatch uh, literally any of their movies. Yep. Literally anything. Uh, Howl's Moving Castle is the best. Uh, Spirited Away is the best. I love both. Uh, I can't really. I can't really say one's better than the other. Princess Mononoke. My Neighbor Totoro. Yeah. And I mean, manga is still used to describe the drawing-based fiction of Japanese comics. Today. Yeah, of course. It had it, it was a big part of that, like, Japanese yep. culture in general. And, of course, it's going to have influence on the rest of Japanese art as well. Today, or even, like, 10 years from now, 40 years from now, it's still going to be a big thing because it was such an such a like such a pivotal part of Japanese art yeah where art became of the people and by the people it belonged to everyone and that's kind of also what we're advocating for here as well yeah it 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 fits so many so many perspectives and so many ideals that generally are being projected today as well in the art world by young professionals like us and like future professionals as well. But yeah, Yukioe is amazing. <laughs> it's so good. And uh, you should check out those uh, prints and those artists that we guys. mentioned before, especially. It's really good. You deserve to look at it. Spend some time with it because I love it. And it, it, it deserves to be recognized as not just the inspiration for uh, European artists, but as a uh, an art style that spanned nearly or a little over two centuries. Yeah. And 
depicted a time where it was just Japanese influence on Japanese influence. Yeah. It's very good, guys. <laughs> Please go check it out. <laughs> I love it. So do I. <laughs> oh, man. I haven't had this much fun doing research in a long time. It's, it again, I'll nice. repeat, it's very sexy art. Indeed. 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 <laughs> I'm going to go draw anime for the rest of uh, Draw Halloween. Thank you very much. <laughs> That's acceptable. <laughs> that's that's all I've got. <laughs> ah. Oh man, Elena, thank you so much for doing this with me. Thank you too. <laughs> it was very oh, fun. It's just I I love it. Uh, if you haven't had a chance, everyone should look at the thirty six views of Mount Fuji because the wave, while being one of the most famous parts about it, isn't even the best one. <laughs> Yeah, just like just uh, everything. All of it. It's all also, of I, it. <laughs> and then the the families, the like the family legacies for this are also just so fascinating, you know? Yeah. Because you could really get into it. <laughs> Indeed you know. can, yeah. But for updates, newsletters, transcripts, blog posts, and more. Head on over to our website at bywrpod.com. Yes. And you can find our show on Instagram at bywrpod. And you can find our show at on Twitter at bywrpod. We also have an email that you can contact us on, bywrpod at gmail.com. And of course, you can check us out on Patreon. Our Patreon is the best way to support us if you like the work that we're doing here at BioApp. Yep. Come say hi. <laughs> and please wash your hands and, and don't, don't touch, touch your face. face god for the love of god just don't touch your face wash your hands wear a mask <laughs> <laughs> and remember when, when in doubt sorry <laughs> <laughs> go ahead <laughs> i'm dying um when in doubt titty out <laughs> thanks guys thanks bye <laughs> Bye. <laughs> oh, it's raining outside. Oh. Oh. When that happened. <laughs>